0: Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to tell you about the Ortega family. Today I am drinking a black coffee and a grapefruit sparkly water from Aldi.
1: What do you got, Ab? I am drinking a cold brew from Bada.
0: Very nice. Mm-hmm. So Very yummy. I hope you guys have some good drinks too, or even multiple drinks, because multiple drinks is good. And... Pour yourself a cup or a glass or mug of whatever you're drinking and let's dive in.
1: Hello, everyone. We wanted to pop in before we continue with the episode and update you on a few changes to the Crime Over Coffee family. We wanted to let you all know that our beautiful and wonderful editor, Mike, will be leaving us at the beginning of next year. He's going to be pursuing other life things. We wish him nothing but the best. He has been easily the best editor we've ever had, and we have so much love for him, and we thank him so much for helping us out this past year and a half. But with that being said, we are going to be having some changes.
0: Yeah, we appreciated Mike so much. But we also really appreciate all of our listeners, everybody who has supported us from the very first awful episode that we published back in 2019, 18, 19, until now, till 2023. We've been doing this podcast for four and a half years, which is absolutely insane. And so we appreciate all of you guys so much for listening. And for sticking with us through all the changes that we've already had and hopefully continuing to stick with us through upcoming changes.
1: Yeah, so we we don't want to leave. We don't want to leave you all. We really enjoy doing this. Erica and I love spending time together recording this podcast. And so while we're losing our editor, we're going to try to keep it going, but... Again, we're losing an editor, and Erica and I are not the most tech-savvy people. So we are going to continue recording, but it's going to be cut down to probably one or two episodes a month. They'll still be released on Thursdays, and it's likely going to be a little bit looser of a format just to ease the lift that our, again, lovely editor has been working through. So it's going to be a little different, a little bit more conversational, but we're still going to provide you with some great Crime content.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna do my best with the editing skills that I do not have to hopefully give you guys something to work with here. Some sort of good content. But I also wanted to update you guys on our Patreon if you are already a Patreon member or if you have ever wanted to join. We're still gonna leave it up. We are gonna make changes to it though. We're not gonna do our bonus episodes at this time. Not saying that could never happen, but at this current moment in time, we are not going to be doing bonus episodes. So we're going to switch down to two tiers instead of three. So we will have a $3 a month tier and a $5 a month tier. Our $7 tier will just go mesh in with the $5. So the $3 tier is going to give you all of our episodes on that same Thursday ad-free. The $5 tier is going to give you all of our episodes... Ad free one day early. Plus you'll get access to all of our previous bonus episodes that have ever been released. So that's kind of a bonus. If you have not previously been on our $7 tier, we have got to put those somewhere. And so those are just going to go down to our $5 tier for now. And so you'll get, I don't even know how many extra episodes, at least 24. So bonus episodes. So if you guys want to check out the Patreon and sign up for that, you guys are welcome to do that. If not, that's totally fine. We just hope that you stick with us for these upcoming changes. And we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.
1: As you may know, I like to watch true crime shows. They are among my most watched shows, believe it or not. Erica and I... If you're a longtime listener, or at least been here since like Thanksgiving or October for Halloween, you know oftentimes we like to do themed true crime episodes around different holidays, which I think is probably kind of weird, but that's what we do because we're weird. But anyway, so it's the holiday season. I'm sitting downstairs right now and I'm looking at all my Christmas decor. And one night I'm trying to find a new true crime show and I come across one called Homicide for the Holidays and it is completely centered around true crime that happens on different holidays.
0: This is a thing? Like a legit show? (laughs) What's (laughs) it on?
1: Uh, I think I've been watching on Peacock. Okay. And the other day, I, so I've been watching it a lot and I go to put like, scrolling through to find it to put it on and my fiance she's like Abby what the hell
0: (laughs) how did you find this and I was like shh I need this right now I feel like Cooper's gotta be concerned about you (laughs) probably both of us he's probably concerned about both of us but oh yeah
1: but anyway so that is how I found out about this episode that I'm gonna cover today there's a lot of kind of crazy ones on there but This one, the other day, I just read the description and was like, what in the bonkers is happening? So here we go. Uh, It occurred in Covina, California, which is about 20, 30 miles or so outside of Los Angeles. And it's surrounding the Ortega family, which you probably gathered from my intro. So Joseph and Alice Ortega are um, a couple that's been married for 53 years Joseph is retired, but he was the owner of an industrial paint business. Joseph and Alice had two sons, James and Charles, and then three daughters, Letitia, Alicia, and Sylvia. And all of those siblings had were married and had kids. Um, some were divorced, I think, but it was a big family. And they were a pretty close-knit family. Every year for Christmas Eve, Joseph and Alice would host everybody. And they would have food, play games, open presents. And one of their traditions was that they would play poker. I think I saw specifically Texas Hold'em, but I'm not entirely sure. On... Christmas Eve, so December 24th, for those of you who don't know, in 2008, everybody is over at Joseph and Alice Ortega's house, and they're hanging out. It's been a good evening, nothing too crazy. It's in a neighborhood as well, where a lot of the neighbors know each other. They're all friends. I think it was kind of a small cul-de-sac type of deal. But anyway, we're getting to around 1130 p.m., and the party is starting to wind down. Some of the neighbors have left. There's still a lot of family members there playing poker, as I mentioned. And the doorbell rings. And so Letitia's eight year old daughter runs up and she opens the door. And there's somebody dressed up as Santa. And so she lets him in. And this is a normal thing most years. There is a neighbor whose name is Pat and he would dress up as Santa and go to the houses and, you know, talk to the kids and do the whole Christmas thing. So not that weird. And this gentleman is carrying some Christmas gifts as well. He comes inside and it's such a normal thing that people don't even really like the adults don't really get up to check. It's just kind of whatever. But he ends up pulling out two guns and then just starts shooting. Following this police 911 dispatchers start getting just a crap ton of phone calls saying that there is a shooter at the house and they're saying that there was some type of explosion and that the house is on fire. At this point, we now have Santa showing up and shooting people and units very quickly show up and by the time they get there, which is shortly after the 911 calls start coming in, the house is just completely ablaze. They can tell Pretty quickly that it's not a normal house fire, not like an electrical thing, because of how fast and hot the fire is burning. So they're pretty sure there was either some type of explosion or some type of accelerant used.
0: Okay, so they're aware that somebody did this. Yeah, they
1: know something's up. So they're thinking some type of arsonist, but they are trying to kind of get a handle on this scene. It's chaotic, as you can imagine. The neighbors are all out. Plus there was the fire happening and this happened at a a party. And they were able to figure out just from talking that there were 25 people still in the house when all of this started. And so now at this point, they're trying to figure out who's accounted for, who might still be inside. Also trying to figure out if some people had, you know, ran off, had been injured and ran off and they need to find them. Or a lot of the people that did end up running out went to neighbors' houses. And so investigators are really just trying to, like, get a hold of what's going on. And then they have the firefighters trying to put out the fire. I think I saw it took like 80 firefighters to get the fire down. And it went all through the night. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it was chaotic. Once they start to get a handle on everything, they discover that they have 16 people that were originally inside of the 25 that had made their way out. Either safely or had gotten kind of dragged out by someone else. So some of them do end up going to the hospital, but they do know that there are nine people that are unaccounted for. That's still quite a few people. Yeah, nine people is definitely a lot. And at this point, too, I'm guessing, you know, it's the fire's past the point where firefighters can even safely go in there. I think they were just at a point where they had to put it out and just see what happened then.
0: Well, and I assume the family members that they've found that are safe are able to kind of say... I'll like give a little bit of a description of what happened?
1: Yes, and so they start talking to them, and they actually get some information from some neighbors as well. One of the neighbors told police that they had seen a small blue car. Um, they identified it as a blue Dodge Caliber with its lights out, leaving the street super fast around the time of the fire. So police at least have something to go on right now while they're trying to gather all their information.
0: I- At least there were some neighbors that noticed something. Because I feel like it's Christmas Eve. That would be a difficult... Like, families aren't really home. Or if they are, they're with other family members. And so they may not be looking outside, kind of watching. But I'm assuming, because you said there were gunshots, that it got the attention of the neighbors. Yes. That's what my guess is. And then, you know, a slight explosion slash house catching on fire probably got their attention as well. I am curious... And you might get there. I am curious if they talked to the nice neighbor who usually portrays himself as Santa Claus to find out. Yes, they do. Okay. I will come back to that in a little bit. That's fine. I just like, I'm curious as to his, like, also, I do think it's really sweet that he does or did that for families. I'm a complete different side
1: note. 100%. And let me just really quickly go through the people that are unaccounted for at this point. So we have Joseph and Alicia, who are the couple I talked about in the very beginning. It's their house and they host. As I mentioned before, there were 25 people inside originally. 16 were accounted for and 9 were unaccounted for. One other thing that did happen, luckily, is that one of the neighbors of the Ortegas actually saw a small blue Dodge Caliber with its lights out leaving the street really fast. And they thought that was weird. So they went ahead and let the officers there know and they put out an APV for it. By December 25th, the house had basically been completely burnt down and we'll have some photos for y'all to look at. But they decided to start going through the house and see if they could account for any of the missing people. They ended up finding the bodies of all of them and identifying them through dental records. These people included Alice and Joseph, who were the owners of the house, their son, Charles, and his wife, Sherry, their son, James, and his wife, Teresa, their daughter, Alicia, and her son, Michael, and then their daughter, Sylvia. Now, the next part of this story is a little bit of a jump because another murder ended up happening across town. Well, about 40 miles away in Sylmar, California. And what had happened is around 3.10 a.m., 44-year-old Brad Pardo arrived home to his apartment and he had been at a Christmas party. So he got home kind of late and he unlocked his door and he saw in his living room that his brother Bruce had been shot and that he was dead. And so Brad calls police and They show up and note that he had been shot with a 9mm pistol, which is what was identified as the shooting weapons, or at least one of them, at the Ortega's house. There had been another pistol that was different that had damaged the wall, and so at this point they're wondering if they have multiple shooters. A little bit about Bruce, according to his brother Brad, is that he overall was a pretty smart, outgoing and fun loving guy. He had a degree in computer science and worked in software and he actually worked at a jet propulsion laboratory for NASA. So really smart guy. He knew his stuff. And another very important thing that tied him to the Ortegas is they found out that he had actually previously been married to Sylvia, who was... Joseph and Alice's daughter and so at this point investigators are trying to figure out where the shooter is potentially going next and trying to figure out why somebody would have beef with this family essentially. Police start to dig into Bruce and kind of try to figure out what his deal was. What they find out is that him and Sylvia had actually divorced and when they were looking into him they found out that they actually, towards the end of their relationship, which at the beginning was a really great loving one,
0: had started to have some issues. Like aggressive issues? Like just not getting along? Disagreements? Because this could
1: vary. Sure. Um, As far as I could tell, nothing like abusive. But apparently Bruce had had some type of surgery. And for a while, he was pretty immobile and that took a really big toll on him and he ended up staying home not being really as outgoing he gained a lot of weight and he was a little agitated as a result and so him and Sylvia just started to get into more arguments and they weren't getting along. While they were figuring all this out one of the daughters of I think it was The daughters of the one that answered the door. So it was an eight-year-old, and her mom was Letitia. And Letitia actually ended up surviving, but her daughter ended up getting shot in the face pretty early on when the shooting started. But luckily, it somehow went through her like her mouth and cheek area, and she was able to survive. And so as she's coming back to, she's talking to people and she's like talking about the shooter because she saw him up close, and she identifies him as Bruce. And so investigators are like, oh, okay, we've got a lead here.
0: Honestly, that doesn't surprise me. But it also kind of explains why he knew that it would be acceptable or even smart to dress up as Santa to get into the house. Because I'm sure he had been there previously when the neighbor would do that. A hundred percent. And he would have known, too,
1: that the neighbor had moved.
0: Yes. So puts him in a really interesting position knowledge-wise you bet and so investigators are
1: looking more into bruce's death at this point and they also kind of look into the circumstances of him ending up at his a brother's apartment dead kind of wondering why he went there how he got there and what happened what they do find is when they're looking around so apparently when Bruce was found dead he had his car keys on him so they grabbed him and they were kind of looking around to find wherever the vehicle was and they ended up finding that same vehicle that was identified speeding off that blue car and they clicked the keys and it unlocks so they're able to determine that that was Bruce's vehicle. On top of that, they open up the passenger seat in the front and there is a Santa outfit sitting on that seat.
0: This is all starting to sound really incriminating. Oh yeah, it only gets worse from here.
1: And so they're looking at his car, they're taking pictures, you know, and they're seeing that there's a just a crap ton of ammunition in there as well. And they go to pull out the Santa suit And it actually had been booby-trapped, basically. So it was hooked up to this wire, which started a flare that went off and ignited a device that caught fire. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of ammunition in there. So it is just, like, fireworks everywhere. I was not at all expecting that. That's intense. No kidding. Luckily, nobody was hurt when this happened. But at the end of it, the car was, like, burnt to bits and they barely had anything to look through evidence-wise. A lot of this happened pretty quickly, but the coroner's looking at Bruce's death, and they're able to find out that he, one, had gunshot residue on his hands and clothes. They're also able to find out and determine that he actually committed suicide by shooting himself in the head. And then there's a little bit more,
0: in case you were still wondering if he was connected. I was starting to question it. I mean, there was very minimal evidence, so...
1: I get it. So he had third degree burns on his hands and arms. And he had this red and white material that was melted onto his pants and onto his arms. So clearly what had happened was the fire happened and he got burnt from it. And it literally fused some of the Santa suit to his skin.
0: I don't feel bad for him. Did he by chance leave a suicide note? He did not.
1: And that's a good segue, actually. (laughs) So... At some point, someone just in the Pasadena area, they notice a RAV4 that was parked by them. And it was one they didn't really know. And they thought it was weird that it was there. And they just kind of reported it as a suspicious vehicle. And when investigators look into it, they find that it was a rental car that had been rented by Bruce. It had his computer some clothes maps to mexico and a bunch of other stuff in it so they think he was planning to flee to mexico and got hurt and couldn't get to that point and likely just killed himself because he was probably in an immense amount of pain and he didn't want to get caught
0: did they ever consider the second shooter ever again or just like kind of the beginning? Just at the
1: beginning when they thought that Bruce had been murdered because there was that second shot that went through. But apparently he did that. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. But yeah, well, after just, this point, they're pretty sure Bruce was the one and only person involved.
0: Okay. I was just curious because I was like, you know, maybe it got really scandalous and second shooter took him out and then they fled.
1: Another thing that is kind of creepy, but anyway... That car that he rented was parked by a gentleman named Scott Noritz's house, who happened to be Sylvia's divorce attorney. So they're thinking maybe Bruce had plans to kill him as well.
0: My mind immediately went to they were working together, but that makes more sense. <laughs> so what
1: they end up finding out is that December 18th, so just a handful of days before this happened, Sylvia and Bruce's divorce was actually finalized. When talking with Sylvia's son, I believe it was, they find out that a while back, on top of their other issues they were having, Sylvia saw this tax statement from Bruce and it was a tax write-off for a dependent. And she was like, do you have a kid? And basically what had happened, I guess, prior to meeting Sylvia, he had been dating someone else. And they had a one-year-old and she had went to get groceries and was like, hey, watch the kid. And when she got back, Bruce was just watching TV and she's looking for the kid and they had a pool in the backyard. So the kid had fallen in. Um, the kid survived, but had major brain injuries and was in basically a vegetative state. And so Bruce, after all this happened, ended up leaving and they just never heard from him again. Wow. He's had a dark past. He's not a great guy. And so this, I guess, was kind of that like point where Sylvia was like, I'm done. This is too much. I do not blame her. No. One other thing about Bruce that happened recently, they found out that he had been fraudulently billing clients for hours he didn't work at his job. And so he was making money for work he didn't do. And they found
0: out they um, fired him. So he had another stressor on his plate that oh yeah led to this. The thing that I don't get, and this isn't specifically with him, is the amount of people who think that they can just bill fraudulently for hours and just never get caught. Know. <laughs> like how do you think that's just gonna work in your
1: favor forever? No. Like maybe once you might be able to sneaky get away with it, but like you're doing that to multiple clients. There's no way.
0: No, eventually somebody's gonna say something. Even if they don't mean to like be saying something they might just offhandedly mention something and somebody's gonna be like that's not right right throughout all this
1: investigators are piecing together obviously why he was targeting the Ortegas but they're also kind of piecing together his plans which I already mentioned he clearly had some plans to go to Mexico but when they search his house and shed they find more stuff so they find boxes from ammunition bomb making material They matched some wrapping paper from his shed to the ones at the Ortega. So basically what he did is he built a makeshift flamethrower and this like thing to spread flammable liquid. And he had had them disguised as presents when he went up to the Ortega house and he brought them in. He starts shooting. He goes back and he's like spraying the... I think it was, it ended up being like jet fuel. And then he had a road flare that he was going to throw. But there were candles that were lit. And so with all that in the air, when he lit the road flare, it ignited before he could like toss it on and get out of the way. And that's how he got burnt. So instead of following out, you know, his plan to take off and go to Mexico, he was so hurt. He went to his brother's maybe for help. I don't know. But his brother was gone and he ended up killing himself. That is the end of this It's a little episode. crazy. Okay. Happy holidays from the show Homicide for the Holidays. <laughs> but yeah, I just, you know, that one was so bonkers to me. I just felt the need to share it with all of you. And apparently you guys are weird too, because you listen to true crime. So
0: I feel like that was just one. We're in company. <laughs> well, I feel like that was one that just kept going. Like there was one thing after another and then you just kept finding more and more about this Bruce guy. Anyway, if you have any holiday true
1: crime things that you want to suggest to us to cover or let us know about, please do. We're always interested in hearing suggestions and um, have a safe and happy holiday from us. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepot at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.